Hi all, it's Isabel here. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. Making the right to have an abortion illegal will not stop them from happening. All this decision is doing is making it illegal or harder to have the procedure done safely. Bodily autonomy is a sacred right. We should have the right to make decisions concerning our own bodies in privacy or with a partner. It should not be anyone else's decision, let alone the decision of people who are so willingly putting children's and women's and everyone else's lives at risk. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. Have you ever had a boss that you really liked? And I don't mean that they were cool sometimes or that they occasionally splurged on fancy lunches for everyone. I mean like if it wasn't for this person, the entire operation would go belly up and everyone would quit because they were such a great boss. If you haven't, I'm sorry, but if you have, It's a good feeling, right? Knowing that someone higher up than you on the corporate ladder has your back and that you're appreciated. Now imagine that boss shows up in the office with a totally random guy and says, Hey everyone, this is Greg. Today is Greg's first day with the company. He's never had a job like this before. As a matter of fact, this is his first job. And he's your new boss. Starting today... Everyone answers to Greg. Now gather around everyone and bow down to Greg. It's a clunky analogy, but still, it sucks, right? To be made to follow someone completely inexperienced that you are certain is going to mess everything up and then be forced to bow down to him and pretend like everything's okay. Now imagine you're an angel. All-powerful, almighty, literally chosen by God, and some guy made of clay named Adam does this exact same thing to you. Definitely sucks, right? This is the villain origin story of Iblis, the man-slash-demon that is so lovingly referred to in Islam as the leader of all shaitans, or leader of all devils. To understand Iblis' story, we have to put ourselves in a headspace that I don't think people who follow Western religions are all too comfortable putting themselves in. You see, Iblis is definitely a demon. I mean, he's quite literally the leader of all the demons in hell. But he is what he is because God deemed it so. God made him a demon so that he could spread evil and tempt man into committing acts of sin. If that concept seems wrong or off to you, then you're most likely joined by millions around the world. Why would God want evil and sin on earth? Why would God want Iblis to do something like this? And how did Iblis, 
someone who used to be one of Allah's most beloved angels, get turned into a demon and get tasked with such an evil duty? Let's dive in and I'll answer those questions for you. First, in the traditions associated with Islam, Iblis is known by a few alternate names, although he is more commonly referred to as the leader of all shaitan. Shaitan being evil spirits who are known to whisper into the hearts of man in order to tempt them into committing sins. He is also known as Abu Murrah, which is Arabic for father of bitterness, as well as Aduwala, which translated from the original Arabic means enemy or foe of Allah. Although certain translations refer to him as the father of these evil beings, it's important to note that most Islamic scholars don't believe that Iblis himself actually created evil. It's their belief that Allah created all things, both good and evil, and since only he has the power to create, Iblis is more a father in the sense that he's a male figure in leadership. Another important historical fact to note is that Iblis can't be found in Arabic literature before the time of the Quran. Because of this, there is little to no agreement on where the root of his name comes from. Some scholars believe that it has its roots in the Greek language, while some etymologists suggest that it might be Arabic or Sumerian. I think it's one of those historical mysteries that lend to the spooky factor of Iblis. What we do know is that Iblis shows up in the Kitab al-Magal, or the Book of the Rolls, a Christian apocryphal work written in Arabic. Not much is known about the Book of the Rolls, due largely to the fact that it is still in the process of being translated, but from the few passages that have been completed, it appears to be a text consisting of apocalyptic visions, announcing the coming of Muhammad and the Islamic conquest of Egypt. According to Francesca Leone's On the Monstros in the Islamic Visual Tradition, Iblis is depicted as a being with a human-like body and flaming eyes. And I don't mean flaming like they're red or bloodshot, I mean flaming like they're on fire. This might have to do with the fact that certain mythology states that he is a jinn, one of the few angels created by fire. He also has a tail, claws, and large horns resting atop his disproportionately large head. Various other traditional stories also say that Iblis was an angel with four wings, but when Allah cursed him, his neck transformed into that of a pig. His head was turned into a camel's head, and his canines grew to resemble those of a boar. To add insult to injury, he only grew seven hairs on his beard. Much of the iconography that exists of Iblis shows him at his time of expulsion from the kingdom of heaven. Paintings depict angels bowing down before Adam and Iblis off to the corner or separated from the group with his wings burned off, his face transformed into that of a demon. Now there are essentially two different versions of the story of Iblis, but they follow the same general concept. Let's talk about the Quran's version first since this is where we get our initial glimpses of him. Iblis is aptly mentioned in the Quran 11 times, 
nine of those relating to his expulsion from Hana, heaven, the final resting place of the righteous. The Quran states that when Allah created Adam, he sent out an order that all of the angels in Hana were to bow down to him, and they all did, with the exception of Iblis. Iblis argued that because he was an angel made from fire and Adam was a creature molded from clay, he was superior to him and shouldn't have to prostrate himself before Adam. As punishment for his out-of-control ego, Allah banished him from Hana and condemned him to a life in hell. Iblis didn't argue or protest his condemnation. Instead, he asked Allah for the ability to try and mislead Adam and all of his descendants. He wanted the ability to tempt them into doing bad things. God said yes, but also said that his powers of temptation wouldn't work on those who were true followers of his. Iblis's powers only work on you if you're vulnerable and not right with Allah. Passages of the Quran 3875 to 3885 read, Allah asked, O Iblis, what prevented you from prostrating to what I created with my own hands? Did you just become proud or have you always been arrogant? He replied, I am better than he is. You created me from fire and him from clay. Allah commanded, Then go out of paradise, for you are truly cursed, and surely upon you is my condemnation until the day of judgment. Satan appealed, My Lord, then delay my end until the day of their resurrection. Allah said, You will be delayed until the appointed day. Satan said, By your glory, I will certainly mislead them all, except your chosen servants among them. Allah concluded, The truth is, and I only say the truth, I will surely fill up hell with you and whoever follows you from among them altogether. Now, a few of you might have perked up at the mention of the name Satan. Do you remember last time's Samael episode? Or even the Pazuzu episode? Well, if you do, you'll remember that the name Satan here doesn't mean what you think it means. Satan in this case means leader of devils, not the Christian Satan that everyone is accustomed to. This version of the Iblis tale falls in line with the idea that Allah created Iblis from the fires that burned beneath the seventh earth. After Iblis devoted thousands of years to worshiping Allah, he managed to rise up through to the surface where he continued his hard work. Eventually, his devotion was recognized and he worked his way into the seventh heaven where he got to mingle with the other angels. When Allah created Adam, he ordered the angels to prostrate themselves before him, but Iblis, being a jinn created from fire, said absolutely not and refused. He disobeyed Allah just when he had finally made it to heaven, and he was banished for it. He's like the runner who slows down a few feet before the finish line because he thinks he's won, just to have another runner race right past him and take the win. The second version of Iblis's horror story is similar to the one we just went through with a few additions and subtractions. 
In this version, Iblis was once a high-ranking Kerub, or angel, who went by Azazel. Azazel was the leader and imam of the angels and the guardian of heaven. He was also supposedly the one closest to the throne of God, and because of this, he was tasked with the terrible but awesome task of destroying the original inhabitants of earth for their disobedience, so that a new, more obedient bunch could eventually take over. After Allah completed his work of creating everything all over again, he announced to his angels that he would be creating a Khalifa, or successor on earth. At Allah created Adam and gave him special knowledge, knowledge that no other creature would ever possess. After that, he ordered Adam to display this special knowledge to the angels, and when he did, the angels admitted that they really didn't know anything other than the few things that Allah had taught them. Allah commanded the angels prostrate themselves before Adam, and they all did, all of them except for Iblis. You see, Iblis remembered how corrupt the original inhabitants of Earth had become, and he was not about to drop down on his knees and sing Adam's praises. There was also a bit of arrogance to Iblis's decision. Iblis considered the angels to be far more superior to Adam. He was made of clay. He considered Adam's earthly bodily flaws as an extreme sign of weakness. So you're looking at clay versus fire, essentially. But on top of all of that, Iblis also saw himself as superior to the other angels as well because he was one of the special few created by fire and because of his close proximity to Allah. Allah was, for lack of a better term, disgusted with this public display of arrogance and not only degraded Iblis when he refused to bow down to Adam, but sentenced him to hell. So you see, the two versions of Iblis's origins and the reason for his expulsion are not all that different. It seems like the main thing that Iblis has going on for him is a major ego problem. One could almost say that Iblis wasn't banished from heaven because he disobeyed Allah. He was banished because his ego was so out of whack that Allah was not going to stand for it. It's only one theory for why he did what he did, but it's a theory that's backed up by a number of scholars. 13th century Persian poet and Islamic scholar Halal al-Din Muhammad Rumi believed Iblis to be the manifestation of the greatest sin of all, which was haughtiness, and on top of that, envy. Iblis was convinced that he was better than Adam and all the other angels in heaven because Allah had made him from fire, along with the fact that he occupied the closest position to the throne of heaven. Why should he have to bow down to Adam? But he was also envious of Adam, envious of all the attention Adam was getting from Allah and all the love he was getting from him. This theory is also supported by Islamic scholar Shah Dalawi, who was renowned in his work on Sufi reformism. Dalawi believed that Iblis represented the principle of one-eyed intellect, meaning that he was so arrogant to, and couldn't see past Adam's outwardly earthly appearance and couldn't recognize the divine spark that he had hidden inside of him. 
all he did was compare himself to Adam and from there he determined that he was better. He never even tried to look any deeper than that. It's kind of crazy because of all the sins that Iblis could commit, that's definitely one that we still see here on earth. When was the last time you judged a book by its cover? Or when was the last time you were denied or turned away from something because someone took one look at you and decided that you weren't good enough? It's a frustrating feeling to be judged just by the outward and not by the inward, and one I think that we can all thank you, Blues, for that. He definitely seems to be the one that started all of this. There is also a whole other theory as to why Iblis disobeyed Allah. The New World Encyclopedia states that although Iblis was rebellious, he didn't have the ability to operate outside of the will of Allah. Allah is considered the absolute sovereign over all of his creations, and so theologians assert that God might have predestined Iblis to disobey him. The Islamic scholastic theology known as Kalam, as well as the Islamic group Mutazila, emphasize the theory of free will and how Iblis freely chose to disobey Allah, which wasn't necessarily an evil thing to do. Throughout the Quran, Allah shows his ability to show range in his actions, meaning that he can imbue his creations with the ability to have free will, while at the same time, teaching them the consequences of their sins and disobedience. Arab Muslim writer Kamal al-Din Muhammad ibn Musa al-Damiri writes that most Mufasir don't consider the fact that Iblis disobeyed God as the reason for him being punished. He was punished because he did Allah an injustice by so publicly objecting to his orders. So, in layman's terms, Allah isn't pissed at Iblis for disobeying him, he's pissed because he did it out in the open in front of all the other angels. If he had maybe set up a meeting with Allah, or perhaps his HR representative, and voiced his concerns there, things would have ended differently. The idea that God and good and evil are opposing and independent forces is one that has been rejected by multiple Muslim theologians. Going back to the idea of Allah having range with his abilities, it's believed that Allah created evil to balance out the world. This is a concept that I think a lot of people who develop their religious points of view in line with Western religions like Catholicism or even evangelism might find it hard to grasp. It's drilled into their brains that God is good all the time. So God is all good all the time. And that all the evil that comes from the world is derived from God's sworn enemy, Satan. So if you were to walk up to a devout Christian and say, actually, God created all the evil in the world too because there needs to be evil for there to be good, there would probably be more than a few angry questions lobbed your way. But it's actually something that Islamic theologians hold very close to the root of their religious views. And it makes sense when you think about it. Allah imbued humanity with free will, and we are free to do what we please. But we also have to keep in mind that there are consequences to our actions. So if you want to go about your life acting like a jackass, you can. Just know that Allah is watching, 
and you can't throw a hissy fit when you die and find that the gates to Hana are locked to you. According to most scholars, Iblis can't be the creator of all evil because he is a creature himself. He was created by Allah, so he doesn't have the ability to then go about creating things himself. Iblis is seen as a tempter, that little voice whispering in the ear of humanity, negging them into doing naughty things. He takes advantage of people's low self-esteem, self-centeredness, and weaknesses, and uses them to make people do things that they wouldn't usually do. Remember that line from the Quran I read to you all? Iblis asks Allah for the ability to tempt people away from the light of God, and Allah says yes. However, he is only able to tempt those who are not part of his chosen few. This is to mean that Iblis is only going to be able to tempt and turn those who are not centered and secure in their minds and in their hearts. Iblis and his fellow demon folk can only do what they do with Allah's permission. They can't just go out and do things all willy-nilly because although they are demons, they're still creations of Allah. Iblis is referred to as the father of all devils, but they use that term to mean that he is the progenitor of the devils, not the originator. Essentially, Iblis is an instrument of God's anger, a means to tempt those who are weak enough to be tempted and then punished for their sins. Now, during the Samael episode, I briefly mentioned that Iblis and Samael have a lot in common, and they do but not just because they both refuse to bend the knee to Adam. They also play certain roles in humanity's expulsion from that ever-so-famous garden. You all already know how Samael bamboozled the pair, so let's talk about what Iblis did. There are different versions of this mythology which are mentioned in the Quisas al-Anbinya, also known as the Stories of the Prophets, which are a collection of stories adapted from the Quran and other Islamic literature in one of these stories, Iblis tricks a peacock into helping him get into the garden. Iblis strikes up a conversation with a peacock and tells the bird that although he is beautiful, his beauty will eventually perish because Allah has made it so that all things eventually have to die. If the peacock can find a way for Iblis to get into the garden, he would be able to get his hands on the fruit of eternity thus ensuring the peacock eternal beauty and immortality for all the other creatures. Of course, this was all a clever ruse, but the peacock fell for it and convinced a serpent to slip Iblis into the garden by carrying him in his mouth. You can probably guess what happened after that. Another version of the tale states that after Iblis was banished from heaven, he was warded off from the garden by the angel Ridwan's sword for a hundred years. Iblis was desperate to get in and proved to Allah that Adam was easily swayed by temptation. So he convinced a serpent into getting him in by telling a sort of half-truth. Iblis tells the serpent that he is one of Allah's first cherub, and that one day he will return to Allah's good graces. But there's just one thing he needs to do in the garden first. If the serpent gets him into the garden, then he promises to show the serpent immense gratitude and tell Allah about how helpful he was in accomplishing this goal. It's going to be great. The serpent, of course, said yes and smuggled Iblis in and, well, you know the rest. Chaos and havoc ensue. 
Both the Iblis and Samael narratives have a lot in common, such as the need to tempt Adam out of the garden and the use of the serpent. It's important to note in these stories that Iblis's single enemy is humanity, whereas Samael is just kind of pissed at God. Iblis is a trickster and a tempter. He tricked Adam out of the garden after all, and we are warned to struggle against the temptations that he offers because he sees us as enemy number one. Now the story you're about to hear follows a man who never took tales of demons and spirits too seriously. That is until he found some inspiration in Iblis. Now, this painter, this artist, has found a muse in Iblis. But, will this obsession to paint the perfect portrait go too far? Is there a price to pay for an artistic masterpiece? Abdullah stared at his half-finished painting of Iblis until his eyes began to burn. The painting was a part of a series entitled The Holy Demonic, portraits based off of folkloric demons who were still, in some way or another, servants of whatever god they believed in. Iblis, Allah's angel-turned-demon who tempted the weak and insecure into committing acts of sin, was the sixth and final painting in the demonic series. But for some reason, Abdullah just couldn't get it right. He had spent weeks researching past portraits of the demonic entity for inspiration. And even those didn't seem to capture the demon correctly. Through Abdullah's research, he learned that Iblis had been an angel, one of Allah's most powerful in fact and had only been turned into a demon because he had refused to bow down before Adam. Theories suggested that the act was out of pride and arrogance, and others thought that it was because Iblis was so loyal to God that he was unwilling to bow down and show devotion to anyone else other than Allah himself. Either way, this action caused him to be turned into a demon, and with God's permission, he set out to tempt the descendants of Adam into committing acts of sin by whispering into their ears. Abdullah decided to speak to his imam. He believed that if he was going to properly capture Iblis' likeness, he had to understand the demon on a more personal level. His local imam told him that Allah had allowed Iblis to do these things because there needed to be a balance in the world. For there to be good, there needed to be evil. Iblis tempted people, yes, but every person on the planet was imbued with free will, and whether they used that will to give in to Iblis or not was really their prerogative. According to the Quran, he could only successfully tempt those who were insecure and weighed down by their own thoughts of self-doubt and inadequacy. He preyed on those who already had way too much going on, because he knew that they were the ones who would most likely fall for his tricks. It was definitely an evil thing to do, but as his imam explained, 
sometimes there needed to be evil in the world to see how good the good actually was. After getting some much-needed insight into the legend himself, Abdullah was more certain than ever that every painting and etching of Iblis was absolutely wrong. They all depicted him with pitch-black skin, grotesque features, and red eyes that shot out like flames, which, according to folklore, was correct. But it was the facial expressions that Abdullah couldn't get past. Iblis always looked chaotic, savage, as if he were thinking of nothing other than causing anarchy and disarray. Frankly, he looked insane, and that just wasn't the Iblis that Abdullah had read about. There was order and meaning behind what he did. It wasn't just evil for evil's sake. He was still a soldier and follower of Allah. The portrait needed to depict that. Abdullah wanted his piece to be different. His piece was going to be real. But the inspirational materials he had to work with were, in his artistic opinion, trash. Pictures from books, copies of paintings, and descriptions of him from textbooks covered several walls in his workspace. Started and unfinished paintings crowded one corner of the room, and he had just added another to the pile. He would have been lying if he had said that he hadn't gone a little overboard, possibly bordering on the line of obsession. Don't you think you're taking this a little too far? His agent Akila remarked, stepping over a discarded portrait of Iblis. No, Abdullah responded resolutely. I need to get this right. On the other hand, I'm not doing enough. You got that right, she said. The show opens in two weeks. Are you going to have your shit together by then? Abdullah looked around his workspace. The obvious answer was no, but there was no way he was going to tell her that, so he gave her a tentative nod. Akila walked over to him and put her hands on his shoulders in a reassuring embrace. Look, you and I, we've been through a lot together, so I'm not going to waste your time by telling you how important this opening is for us. However, I will leave you with this. I don't care if you have to summon the demon yourself and ask him to sit down for a quick portrait session. Get this done. And with that, she walked out of the building, leaving Abdullah with a curious thought. Artists have done a lot of things for their craft. Drugs, alcohol, painting with their own blood, studying cadavers, going under hypnosis. Abdullah had even gone to art school with a woman who had supposedly been possessed by the spirits of her dead ancestors and used that as the inspiration for her paintings. Summoning a demon didn't seem that far off. He would be just another artist experimenting for his craft. He wouldn't be doing anything that any other artist in his position wouldn't do. Right? And in the end... He was going to be doing it out of venerance, out of devotion for this creature who he thought had been woefully misinterpreted in the media for thousands upon thousands of years. 
he had never summoned a demon from hell before. Hell, he had never even played with a Ouija board. It was one of those things like metal music and tattoos that would have gotten him kicked out of his mother's house as a teenager in no time. But how hard could it possibly be? According to several movies and television shows, people accidentally summon demons all the time. He was actually going to try and do it on purpose. So one night after visiting his mosque for some mental and spiritual fortitude, he went to a popular paranormal store in Jersey City and bought everything that the pretty girl with the nose ring told him would help him with contacting spirits from the beyond. He didn't tell her that it was for contacting a demon. That would have certainly attracted too much unwanted attention. But he assumed that whatever was used for contacting the dead would work for contacting a demon. The paranormal was the paranormal, right? At roughly around midnight, he put his phone on Do Not Disturb and locked the front and back doors leading into his studio. He cleared out the center of the floor of all paint and random clutter and then laid out a tarp where he could set up his summoning supplies. He didn't know if demons were messy, but he figured it was better to be safe than sorry. Using red paint, he drew a sigil on the tarp that was supposedly meant to summon demonic activity. He hoped the sigil would work, but he was fairly confident in its abilities since he had found it in a very ominous and suspicious looking book in the back of the library. Afterwards, he lit a black candle, which was supposedly meant to protect him from negative energies, and then several small purple ones that the saleswoman said would open him up to psychic and spiritual activity. Finally, he cut the pad of his thumb and dribbled a few drops of blood on each point of the sigil, for no other reason other than the fact that he had seen it in a movie once, and then stood in the center. He didn't know where to start. How does one go about summoning a demon? How do you talk to a demonic figure that was supposedly tasked by God to tempt mankind? Something told him that saying, Hey dude, I'm a fan of yours. Can I paint your portrait? Wasn't going to cut it. Instead, he did what he thought anyone in his position would do and copied what he had seen in most horror movies. I call on you, Iblis, he shouted with his arms outstretched above his head. I call on you, oh, um, dark and mischievous one. It sounded ridiculous out loud. He felt ridiculous doing it. But there was no point in stopping now. He squared his shoulders, channeled his inner Nancy from the craft, and started over again. Iblis, tempter of God, refuser of Adam, jinn of heaven and father of Shaitan, show me your glory, show me your power, I pray of thee, I invoke thee. Was he reciting Nancy's speech from the craft almost verbatim, he asked himself? Yes. But was it working? Almost in response to his question, a bolt of lightning flashed across the sky, followed by a clap of thunder that shook Abdullah's studio window in its frame. The force of the thunder made him jump, knocking over the black candle. He made to relight it, but figured it could wait. He was getting somewhere with this, and he had to finish it through to the end. Oh, sacred one, hear my call. 
ancient wise one, show yourself to me. An inexplicable wind swept through his studio, scattering papers, canvases, and painting supplies all around the room. Abdullah felt as though he were in the eye of a very delicate tornado. It made him comfortable enough to go off script. Iblis, Abu Murrah, Aduwala, leader of all devils. I am nothing but a lowly painter, one who wishes to immortalize you in your truest form. I have seen these paintings, these scribbles that pass themselves off as likenesses of you. I wish to capture you and your essence in a way that would make you proud. But to do that, I need you to show yourself to me. The wind that ravaged the room stopped, leaving the studio in a state of disarray. Abdullah looked up at his wall clock and watched as the hands moved in slow motion. A mixture of emotions violently washed over him. Dread, sorrow, paranoia, helplessness. He clutched his head and his heart while tears flowed freely from his eyes. What was happening to him? Smoke began to fill up the room, filling the air with the suffocating scent of sulfur and ash. From the smoke, Abdullah watched two small pinpricks of fire float closer and closer towards him. He wanted to close his eyes as an overwhelming sense of fear ripped through him, but that same fear wouldn't allow him to look away or turn his back on them. Through the smoke, Abdullah recognized the inky black body of Iblis step forward. His clawed feet left deep grooves on the hardwood floor, and the horns on the top of his head curved inward and yet somehow still managed to scrape the ceiling floor. He still possessed the body of a man, except for his tail, which swung almost playfully behind him, and his canines, which resembled that of a boar. And those eyes, Abdullah thought, those unblinking eyes of fire that refused to part from his own. Those eyes cut through Abdullah as if they were scanning his very soul for any signs of weakness or insecurity. Iblis confidently stalked towards him, closing the space between them in a few short steps. Once face to face with the demon, Abdullah's mind went blank and he stood staring at the creature with his mouth agape. Fear paralyzed him, wiping his mind of thought. This is surprising, Iblis said, his voice rough and commanding. There are a few descendants of Adam who have the courage to call to me. Those who do are usually pleading for their lives or begging the Almighty Allah to banish me. <laughs> Iblis snorted, sending a puff of acrid smoke wafting through the air from his nostrils. As if my father didn't know what I was doing. As if I was some radical agent. But I heard your request through the void and I must admit, you have fascinated me. In all my years of roaming this rock, I have never been pleased with how you mortals depict me. Look at these. He pointed a clawed finger at a pile of papers on the floor, 
copies of portraits and drawings of himself that Abdullah had scanned at the local library. I am not some rabid animal. I am not some beast that roams about uncontrollably gnashing its teeth and taking its vengeance out on you small people. I was once a jinn of heaven. I do Allah's work here on earth, separating those who would be tempted and those who would not. At this, Abdullah finally found the courage to speak. I know, he said hurriedly. I know. That's why I summoned you here tonight. I'm not looking to be like all of those other painters and artists. I want to honor you with a portrait worthy of your majesty. I look at these papers and I know that there is something missing. I know that these are not you. I want to capture you. No, not like capture you, like trap you. Um, capture you as in I want to paint you as you truly are. Abdullah felt the heat of Iblis's stare all throughout his body. He felt as though it were singeing his skin. Why? the demon asked. Because, because I think you deserve it. I think you deserve to be venerated like any other powerful figure in history. You are more than just a demon. You are more than just a tempter. Allah granted you this power and position because he knew that there was no one else who could do it. You are the one tasked with separating those who will reach heaven and those who will not. You are putting us to task of using our free will in the correct way. Someone with that amount of awesome power deserves to be remembered and immortalized correctly for all the world to see. He knew that he had laid it on really thick, but the idea of taking on any other tone, let alone a casual one, seemed wrong. The demon circled Abdullah like a shark. I look into your heart, and do you know what I see? Iblis asked him. I see vanity and a lust for recognition. Abdullah knew that those were bad things. He was also painfully aware of the close proximity between the two of them. Iblis could tear him in half with one strike of his clawed hand and never even blink. Luckily for you, those are sins that I need at this point in time. I have been accused of vanity myself. But it is only because I have lived millennia now without the recognition that I deserve. I am Allah's most important soldier. I am the progenitor of all shaitan. And you are right. I deserve to be immortalized as such. Abdullah's heart began to race with excitement. He made a bad attempt at suppressing a smile and took a tentative step backward. How would you like to start? He asked nervously. I usually have people stand in a certain area, but you can do whatever you want, really. I can grab you a chair if you would like to sit. Iblis stared at Abdullah with a mischievous glint in his eye and slowly walked towards him, his head cocked to one side. I have another idea, he said with a smile. 
The muscles in Abdullah's jaw strained as his mouth opened much wider than it was intended to. He tried to make for his jaw, but found that his arms were pinned to his sides. They flailed helplessly beside him as if struggling against invisible chains. Iblis thrust his hand down Abdullah's throat. A shooting pain spread throughout his body as the demon made its way inside of him. His eyes rolled to the back of his skull. A fire spread inside of him, burning him from the inside out, until finally the demon and Abdullah were one. The way his body moved resembled that of an incredibly well-coordinated puppet. He dropped to the floor and began to rummage through the scattered art supplies until he found everything that he was looking for. Although his eyes were rolled to the back of his head, he picked up his instruments and began to furiously paint. Inside of his mind, Abdullah stood face to face with Iblis. What's to stop you from taking my soul once the painting is done? He asked nervously. The demon laughed, a sound that reflected genuine amusement. Have you learned nothing from the obsessive research you have done of me? I have no need to kill. So once it's done, you'll leave me alone? More or less, Iblis replied, although the tone in his voice gave Abdullah cause to pause. Abdullah's body spent the entire night crouched down painting. It never rested and never stopped for food or water. As the light of dawn began to stream from the studio windows, Akila made her way to the door leading in, in the hopes of finding a finished painting. It was early, way earlier than she usually worked, but they really were behind schedule and she was anxious. Abdullah was a friend of hers and she loved the guy, but if there wasn't a completed masterpiece in that room when she walked in, she was going to kill him. She pushed the door to the studio open and stepped inside, releasing a frightened gasp when she took in the destruction that had swept across the room. Abdullah, what the fuck? Were you robbed? She looked down at her friend and colleague, covered in paint and still manically painting away. Abdullah, she asked nervously, his hair was in complete disarray and his back was hunched in a painful position. Are you okay? The heel of her boot snapped a paintbrush in two and Abdullah's head snapped up at the sound. Akila's breath caught in her throat. All she could see were the whites of his eyes. He dropped his paintbrush and stood up, his body cracking from the strain of being crouched for so long. It is done he said in a voice that she didn't recognize. Abdullah's jaw unhinged and opened so wide that Akila could see a fiery red eye staring back at her from the back of his throat. A hand wrestled its way out of Abdullah's mouth and then another until two arms strained to free themselves. Akila screamed as the demon with clawed hands, a tail, a disproportionately large head, and fiery red eyes crawled its way out of her friend's body. The demon straightened its body and towered over her, but before he had the chance to speak, Akila fainted, landing hard on the floor. Abdullah's consciousness rushed back into his body. His hands were cramped, his knees were stiff, 
and his back felt as though it would never be straight again. He had never been in so much pain in his entire life. But it was worth it, he thought, because before him on the floor was the most exquisite painting he had ever seen. On the canvas was Iblis, surrounded by the blue, white, and golden lights of heaven. His posture was regal, and his head was held up high, commanding respect. He looked strong, powerful, and dangerous. The onyx shade of his skin shone bright through the painting, but it was his eyes that Abdullah couldn't look away from. They were like spheres of brilliant red fire, and when you looked into them, it was as if you could see your own reflection in the flames. It sent a message, as if to say that Iblis saw you for who you were and what you were capable of. The incredibly good and the tremendously bad. I painted this? he asked. You and I painted it, Iblis said proudly. Abdullah tore his eyes away from the canvas and looked at Akila lying on the floor. Oh my god, he exclaimed. Yes, I unfortunately gave her quite a scare, but she will be all right. You will, however, have to come up with an explanation for what she saw. Abdullah looked into Iblis's eyes. So that's it. You leave now, right? Yes. And you're not going to turn around and eat me or like suck out my soul or something, are you? Iblis's expression shifted into that of annoyance. I'm sorry, he said quickly. Iblis stepped forward and jabbed a clod at Abdullah's chest right above his heart. If this portrait isn't exhibited for the world to see, like you said, I will come back here and skin you alive. There is nowhere in the world that you can hide from me. Abdullah winced. Yes, yes, I promise. I'll, I'll make it the focal point of the exhibit. I believe you, the demon said after a while, retracting his claw. Akhila began to stir behind Abdullah. Be good, Iblis said toyingly. Remember, I'll be watching you. And then he disappeared leaving the lingering scent of fire and sulfur. When Akila came to, Abdullah explained to her that he had been robbed in the night and that when she had stepped into the studio, she had slipped on a can of spray paint and hit her head on an industrial can of paint. Everything that she had thought she had seen was an illusion, the result from her head injury. He didn't know if it had truly qualmed her suspicions, but something told him she wasn't going to try and dig any deeper. Two weeks later, Abdullah's art show opened, with Iblis's painting the main attraction. People came from all over the country to look at it and experience what critics were calling a spiritual awakening. One art critic went as far as to write that Abdullah Abadi's portrait of the demon Iblis forces the viewer to look inward and face their most sensitive and difficult attributes. Iblis looks at you and makes you ask yourself, am I a good person? Am I worthy of heaven? People were leaving crying, tears of joy, tears of rage, and tears of sadness. He was a hit. But Abdullah's success came at a price. 
Every once in a while, as he was walking down the street or shopping at a grocery store, he could have sworn he had seen Iblis rapidly whispering into the ears of passers-by. Nobody else seemed to notice him. At first, he thought he was hallucinating, the visions a result of the trauma he had undergone. After all, he had been temporarily possessed by a demon. But one day as Abdullah was buying art supplies, he noticed Iblis whispering into the ear of the cashier. He slowly walked to the cash registers and set his things down, unable to take his eyes off the demon. Just as he thought that Iblis hadn't noticed him, the demon turned over to him and winked before disappearing from sight. Abdullah spent the remainder of his life catching glimpses of the demon Iblis. He never told anyone about his visions and never alerted anyone when he saw Iblis whispering into their ears. He also never lost his love of painting. However, his family did find one thing odd. Towards the end of his life, all Abdullah ever painted was Iblis. Some say Iblis was banished from heaven due to his arrogance and pride, and others who follow Sufism argue that when God asked Iblis to prostrate himself before Adam, he forced him into a position where he had to decide between God's command and his own free will. They believe that Iblis refused to bow because bowing to Adam would be showing Adam the same kind of venerance that was reserved for Allah and Allah alone. Iblis used his free will to disobey, and in his mind, it was for a good reason. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Based on his intentions, do you think that Iblis should have been turned into a demon? Do you think he deserved it? Also, is it fair to consider Iblis an evil demon if all he does is poke at our insecurities in the hopes of leading us astray? I mean, I can triple dog dare someone to steal a car, but in the end, if they choose to steal it, it's their choice to make. Can you really blame Iblis for that? Okay, so I mean, according to the Islamic Book of the Dead, Iblis often disguised himself and approached men dying of thirst with a cup of water, telling them that he would give them a drink if they agreed to testify to blasphemous statements, such as, the messenger peace be upon him lied, and no one formed the universe. So yeah, his methods of temptation are way evil and way drastic. But that's his job, isn't it? To be as big and bad and evil as heavenly possible, because if you could resist even that, you were pretty much assured a ticket to the heaven train. Iblis might be a demon, but... He's a demon doing God's work. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. And for your patience as I navigate this fractured foot life of mine. This is part four in my six part series on demons from across the world. Stay tuned for part five as we close out the series. And as we close out the series, I'm going to leave the next week's episode's topic a surprise. 
If you want to hear more of the series and more myths, legends, and scary stories, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor for more episodes. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Scary Stories for the Soul Pod. Until next time.